Welcome to the Tankara Angler Level Line Podcast, a podcast that chronicles the stories of the Tankara and fixed line fly fishing community. I'm one of your hosts, Mike Agnetta, and I'm joined today by uh, another host, Anthony Naples. How's it going, Anthony? That's going pretty good. Hey, Mike. Hey, hey folks. Hope everything's do- uh, everyone's going. Hope everything's going well for everyone. <laughs> Obviously well, I, not for me. I, I, I can tell you. <laughs> I live in Florida for those that don't know, and it is ridiculously hot right now. Um, you know, I did a bunch of fishing in um, June, um, but I haven't got really out in July yet. Obviously, I don't want to go anywhere outside in Florida in July. It's been like 96 degrees and humid and ridiculous, even for, you know, warm water, fixed line pond fishing. But um, I really need to sneak up up to the mountains at some point. It's um, It's been ungodly hot. How's it been for you? Yeah, it's it's pretty brutal here too in the high 80s and just humid uh, as could be. Like I was out fishing the other day in the morning. You know, uh, my waders are leaky. I put them, put my socks out, my wet socks out on the fence to dry, and like at 10 in the morning and at like yeah. eight at night, they're still wet. The humidity, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's a killer. Yeah, I, I so tell it's you been what, pretty brutal here too. So morning yeah. fishing has been about it. Yeah, and that was a pattern. We're going to talk about that, I think, in a little bit. We're going to go over some of the uh, events that happened over the course of the year. But before we get to that, we wanted to touch on some interesting new product launches that have kind of um, popped up all at once, you know, over the span of about, you know, 30 to 60 days, somewhat out of the blue in the case of some of them. Uh, We've highlighted them all on TankaraAngler.com, but thought it might be a good opportunity to talk about them a little bit here. Um, I'll kick it off. The first one, which kind of has been teased for a little bit. You know, we heard River Peak is going to be coming out with a new rod. And the one that they came out with is probably one that um, probably wasn't one that people were expecting. Uh, they came out with a pocket rod called the Sangaku Special. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Um, it comes in three sizes, a 2.4, a 2.7, and a 3.0. And the thing that's really interesting about the rod, I actually have one um, right here. Um, This is the 3.0. The thing that's really interesting about this rod is um, it's an 8.2. So it's a little stiff rod, which, you know, you might kind of think of. I think a lot of people, like when they think of pocket rods, especially short ones, they think of like blue lining for brookies or something like that, where you might want to have a, you know, kind of a softer rod because you're catching smaller fish. But uh, this one's actually a little bit on the stiff side. But... They do mention that it pairs well with a PVC line as opposed to a furled line. So that kind of offsets and gives the rod a little bit more life when you're when you're casting it and makes those casts um, you know a little bit a little bit easier. I've only cast it in the yard. I haven't fished it quite yet, you know, you know, up in the you know blue lining or really anywhere yet. So um jury's out on it, but it's definitely an interesting rod. It's one, like I said, that I don't think most people kind of had on their radar um obviously a lot of people really like the kiwamis i know you you have a kiwami and, and you fish that yeah yeah so so yeah this so is So what's kinda... that what's that grip like on there mike that's yeah i haven't seen one in person so i was going to talk about that so i was going to ask you number one do you think this is a tankara rod <laughs> I, don't, I don't think i'm going to go down that path <laughs> yeah so those that can't see this that are just listening the uh the sanguku special or sangaku special um it basically it's not it does not have a core candle at the end um it, what it looks like to me it's really tough to kind of tell um it's gritty but it looks like it's kind of grit that was kind of glazed over like a thread wrap so oh, okay. it, it definitely gives you you know quite a bit of grip on there it's not smooth like some of those other pocket rods they're just smooth from tip to tail. 
Um, but um, yeah, it definitely has a little bit of a grip to it. Um, it is, you know, kind of light. And like I said, it is kind of stiff. But, um, you know, I know Tom Davis got one. He's going to do, you know, all the measurements. I have one. I'm going to lend some measurements to him. So we do a, you know, a proper rod report. Um, you know, Tom Davis style will have all the RFIs, CCSs, all that, all that fun stuff. So that was rod number one. All right. Well, the next rod we're going to talk about is one that definitely created a lot of buzz out there in the Tankara community. It's the Dragon Tail Talon Mini. Um, a lot of these rods got out to, I guess, what you'd want to call Tankara influencers. Uh, <laughs> I know I got one. You got one, Anthony. Yeah. Uh, Matt got one. Was he? He's already fished. Um, you know, out in the Driftless. I think last weekend. Um, here it is for those that are that are watching um, this podcast. Um, and it's a, it's a really interesting rod. It sold out. Um, the first batches of it sold out like immediately. I mean, people were wow. saying they tried to buy the first batch and it was like in and out of their carts in minutes. I think now they're sell their dragon tails taking pre-sales for it in November. So oh, definitely shows the interest in these small, you know, kind of pocket rods. I'm curious. I don't think you had a chance to fish this rod yet, but what do you think about pocket rods in general? The first two that we talked about are, you know, kind of those smaller, those smaller rods. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think they're, I think they're pretty cool. I, I've used like the Tanuki rods and, um, I, I love, like, I do a lot of hiking with my wife, you know, when we go on vacation, um, in the great Smokies or, you know, smart Smokies national park or, or out in Colorado. And, and I just think it's cool to be able to throw one in my backpack on non-fishing trips. You know, that's, that's how I use them. I think mostly is on a non-fishing trip. I'll throw it in my bag and, if I get a chance to stop and fish, I'll, I'll use it. So I generally don't go out with them as my only rod, but I'd right. love that for hiking. Yeah, yeah I, I get that. I kind of, I kind of think of it the same way. I mean, I will say I did get to fish the Talon Mini um, in the mountains of uh, North Georgia, and it's a totally capable rod. Um, I probably wouldn't use it as my primary driver or whatever uh, myself. Um, but um, you know, like you said, like kind of grab and go, or even as a backup rod. You know, it's so small, like you can just fit right. it basically right. anywhere, right? Like you don't have to have that big, the big rod hanging out of your backpack or sling pack or whatever with that tip that's sticking out yeah. that undoubtedly gets caught in stuff or whatever. Like this one could just fit inside and it makes it really easy to kind of bring around. So that rod is definitely interesting. But like I did mention, I think they're pre-sold all the way out through November right now. So if you are listening to this and are interested in this rod, I definitely try to try to pick one of those up now so you're so you're ready for you know i guess in this case the holidays i don't know the like i said the reaction was pretty wild to that from all that i heard and saw how was uh, the when you fished it how was the balance on that mike it's got a fairly short grip how'd you it, find it does the balance is okay i mean you can tell that it's not you know a very very high end you know high performance rod um it's a little heavy um you know, but i think i think it's fine like i said i if there are a lot of other standard rods, like standard, if you want to call this one, I think it's like a little bit over 10 foot, but like, there's a lot of other like 11 foot rods or 12 foot rods that, you know, don't really feel all that much different. And the thing okay. that I really like about it is the backbone that it has, even though it's like a small rod, like it's not necessarily like a, a tiny fish rod. Like you can handle some nice size fish on that rod. It's, it's pretty, you know, when you've got all those sections that collapse down right like it makes that bottom section where they all nest pretty wide so i guess because it's pretty wide you get a little bit of backbone in that rod which is not i think the only thing that people might like is the handled handles you know a little bit short but you know yeah. you kind of just depends on how you grip that i'm one of those guys that grips a 10 car rod like in the butt 
So it's yeah. like perfect for me. But if you're right, one of those right. people that like to go a little bit up higher, it might be a little bit awkward because there's no contouring on it. Yeah. You know what it, I mean? Yeah, it's it's kind of funny you mentioned it. it's kind of like the back end of uh like a dual kind of contour grip when yep. you look at it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it kind of fishes that way too. You know, it's obvious when you hold a rod like that, it's a little bit more, I guess, tip heavy because of just, you know, it's a little bit longer and the momentum's like that. So that's kind of how that rod fishes. Um, next up, another product that came out um, in, in the last month or so. And this one I totally was not expecting at all um, was the Tankara USA flyweight jacket. Um, you know, usually everybody's talking about rods and, you know, maybe some sort of packs or accessories, but an actual branded rain jacket, fishing jacket, whatever you want to call it. That was kind of interesting. I know yeah. you got one of those. What did you think of yours? I yeah, I, I really like it. I mean, uh, unfortunately, well, I guess, unfortunately, in more than one way, there hasn't been a lot of rain. Um, so, you know, out on the drift list, I was hoping <laughs> to give it a go. Um, you know, we didn't get any rain and, uh, haven't really had much rain until the last couple days and then it's been just up here where i am now it's been like downpours when it rains so and the right. stream was crazy so i haven't been out in that but yeah i'm looking forward to later you know in the, in the fall and stuff to get out and it's nice you know it packs up uh pretty small you know you could throw it in a backpack pretty easily so i think it'll be a pretty nice little jacket yeah, I agree. The thing that I liked about it was the ventilation that it has. Yeah. I, I have a couple other jackets that are kind of those rain jackets that ball up really small and put pockets, but some of them don't have, you know, pockets for your hands to, you know, to go in or put gear in or whatever. And then some of them don't have those pit zips for ventilation. Right. And I know a lot of time, like when you use a rain jacket, it might not necessarily be cold. It just, you want to keep the rain off you. So it might be, you know, 75, 80 degrees, something like that. So if you're wearing one of those, that's, those are really good features that that jacket has that I know I have a couple jackets from like REI and outdoor research and stuff like that, where they don't have some of those features. Mm -hmm. So it's clearly tailored towards fishing, which is, which is nice. You know, we'll, we'll yeah. I haven't, I haven't gotten it wet, super wet at least yet either. Um, so I'm curious to see how it, how it holds up in some of those, you know, drencher situations. I guess I could go outside in Florida. We get those <laughs> three o'clock, you know, thunderstorms every day and just see how it goes. But um, I, like I said, in the beginning, it's like 96 degrees. I don't want to be putting yeah. a jacket on. <laughs> cool. Another thing that's kind of cool. Um, and we'll just kind of talk about this is Riverworks rod company, uh, which is Jeff Lamino's company out of uh, Tennessee um started they had like a like a little burst of new products um everybody i think is already kind of aware of their tactical nymphing rod the zx4 pro um it's probably the best um you know nymphing rod um that's out there um it was you know co-designed with um with rob worthing and they put out a couple other interesting rods. They have their, I think it's called the Monster Rod 395, which is like a big fish rod. And the other one they put out is like a split grip steel header rod, um, which is really wild when you see the pictures. I don't know if I necessarily consider that tank. I definitely don't consider it tank car. It's more fixed line fishing. What do you think about a split grip rod? I, I, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I don't know. I wasn't really aware of that. I wasn't paying that much attention, I guess. But um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know where i would use it but like um i, I don't know I, I would love to hear this this is something i'd love to hear from people who have used one you know like in the comments you know let us know what you think um i i don't i don't fish anywhere that i would use it but 
Um, what about you, Mikey? Any, any like, I mean, I don't, I would love to just mess around with like that kind of spay cast, you know, kind of yeah, see yeah. how that, how that goes and, and roll them out. But again, I don't really live anywhere either where I would use that. Um, I, I could go wade out into a pond, but there's gators where I live, so I probably wouldn't do that. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, I, I'd love to. I'd love to kind of mess around with that. Um, I'm not necessarily a, a big fish, long line, tent car guy, but I think the you know the opportunities or the 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 the, the evolution of rods into that into that arena is definitely interesting. Not for so me, you, but yeah. So do you know what what Jeff like what lines? that's designed for do you have any idea like i really don't i would imagine you'd probably put a floating line on it or something like that yeah. I, I would think or at least a fro you need something with some sort of weight i would i would guess to kind of shoot yeah. it out there but we'll, we'll have to ask him about that and maybe put something in the notes about it because i'm yeah. curious yeah i don't think he made a lot of them but he did kind of pop that out there i think it was on facebook one night and i was like oh that's kind of interesting um you did get a, a rod redone by him though recently right i did yeah i think this is the i think it's the third rod i've had redone by him so this is i recently got got a um an oni three and uh, in a barter with another angler and um it had a it had like a some of the paint had been chipped off so i kind of talked to jeff about you know what should i do with that you know and he was like well he sent it to me and i can work on it and then and then he said, well, how, well, if I'm going to do that, why don't we put a new grip on it, too? So so we went and did that, the full Jeff Lomino treatment with the uh, carbon fiber uh, grip with that hard, it's like a dense, hard foam underneath. And and I'll tell you, the, the well, actually, I guess, I guess this is the fourth rod I have like that, because I have one of his nipping rods, yeah. I have a tanuki rod, and another rod that's been converted. And um, and I, I always tell people when I'm nymphing, I'm like, or when I'm fishing, I'm mostly a visual strike detector, you know, but, but I have noticed with these grips, like he talks about and Rob Worthen talks about, you can, you definitely can feel uh, a lot more than you can with some other grips. You really do feel, even if you're not feeling bites, you're feeling the, you're feeling the bottom. So you can kind of map out right, right. You're ticking along the bottom and stuff. So, I mean, I just think they, they look cool and they, um, they are functional too in that way, you know? So, yeah. Kudos to Jeff on those those rods. I know the I, the Tanuki rod I had done. Um, man, it's just uh, no no slight to Luong, at, uh, but his grips are just too small for me <laughs> right. in general. So I'm always telling him to make them bigger. So when I had Jeff do it, I got a bigger one put on it, and uh, it just made a huge difference for me. So so anyway, yeah. I mean, if uh, if you've got an Oni rod, you're interested in converting, they they turn out really nice, and and uh, yeah, I love it. Yeah, and I believe that's a service that's available on the Riverworks website. You just kind of scroll into their shop and they have like an Oni convert link or something. If somebody's interested in looking at, you know, maybe a couple more pictures of other rods or, you know, actually doing it yourself. It's kind of kind of a kind of a cool thing that you can do, um, you know, to what is already a, an amazing rod kind of right. even amp it up a little bit more. Right. Yeah. Cool. And the last one I wanted to bring up, and I don't know if too many people actually know about this one. I actually don't have all the details on this one either. But when we were in the Driftless um, in the beginning of June, um, Tom Bailey from Tenkara Adventure Outfitters was kind of passing around one of his new rods, which he's going to release, I think, really soon. I talked to him on the phone two or three weeks ago, and he said he was just basically waiting for the shipment to come in. Um, I don't remember what the name of the rod was going to be. I think there were a couple names that were 
kicked around on online. Um, yeah. But it's, it's basically a Zoom ride. Did you, did you did you get to play around with that? I didn't see it. No, I didn't yeah. see it. He's kind of passing it around, um, you know, to people the one day that everybody was kind of lawn casting. And, um, you know, I don't remember all the specs about it, but if you are a Tenkara Adventure Outfitters fan and you like either their rods or the previous Badger rods, um, this, I guess, a new one's coming out soon. So keep your eyes and ears open for that. I'm sure we'll post about it, you know, when the time comes. Mike, do you remember what the length what the lengths were on the Zoom rods? I, I don't, I don't. Um, I, this is just me guessing. It looked like it was not quite as robust as the Bad Axe, so I would think it was probably maybe a little bit smaller than that. But I, I don't remember. Um, I only, I didn't actually cast it when it was there. I just kind of, you know, put my hands on it real quick and you know passed it along, just kind of, kind of check out the the rod that he had, but, um, kind of interesting stuff. Yeah. I, I, it's nice to see that. I think that'll be their first new rod, you know, first new rod since, um, you know, they changed over from, from the badger rods. If I'm not, oh, that's, well, that's exciting. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So we've talked about the driftless a little bit, you know, as we've been kind of running through this, um, thought it might be a good idea to give, you know, just our listeners a little bit of a recap of that. There's been, a couple events so far this year, you know, 10 car events are always a great opportunity to, you know, meet people. Um, you know, you, 10 car for a lot of, for all intents and purposes, for a lot of people is one of those things where you kind of lives online and a lot of conversations happen online, but you know, you get the opportunity uh, in a couple scenarios to actually meet people face to face, exchange ideas and actually fish with them. Um, you know, we 10 car angler hosted an event in North Carolina, uh, or excuse me, no, it was in Tennessee this year, right? Tennessee. Correct in April. Um, and then there was actually just recently the Oni school out in Utah that I know people went to, um, with Masami Sakakibara, um, check out Jason classes, um, photo recap of that on tenkaratalk.com If you get a chance, he did a really, really good job capturing, um, the look of that event. But you know, the one that we're going to talk about is the driftless camp out, um, which is in Wisconsin. Um, it's, it's organized by two guys, zone and Dave, they've been doing it for quite a few years and it's just basically a informal gathering where people get together. We met up. Um, and I know we've, we've gone there quite a few years. Um, I know you're a big fan of the driftless Wancha. explain what that is to people that aren't familiar. Explain the driftless. Oh, yeah. Um, so, uh, so the, the, the term driftless itself is, it just means that the area is free of glacial drift. So in the last ice age, the glaciers for, for reasons of topography and geo, you know, geo, geography, I guess, went around this region. So as a result, you know, the, uh, all the spring creeks that might otherwise be buried under all this glacial drift are, are, are all there to fish, you know. And so it's, a, it's um, southwest Wisconsin and uh, that area there where it also borders Minnesota and Iowa are it's the primary fishing area. Yeah. And, and it's mostly, um, at least in my experience, mostly meadow and pasture type fishing. There are a few streams that may go through wooded areas, but um, very pastoral farmland and farm country um, and mostly small streams. So streams you can, you can literally straddle up to, you know, sort of medium sized streams, but I'd say the bulk are some fairly small, but just uh, filled with trout. And, you know, I always tell people, build with trout. Build with trout. Yeah. Yes. Right. I mean, like, not, not to, to brag or anything, but if you put in a good full day of fishing when the fishing's on, you know, a hundred fish day is not a ridiculous idea. That's pretty, pretty doable for most people when the fishing's on. Um, 
and the, and the state of Wisconsin is a great has done a great job of getting easements and uh, access to lots of property. So as a visiting angler, if you're if you ever thought about doing it, it's it's a pretty easy you know self guided you know area. You can get a, you know, a lot of access. It's easy to find. So yeah, do yeah. it. A lot of access and it because it is in the you know kind of pastures and meadows and things like that it's easy to get around too when you're on the stream right. early a lot of you know for those that actually do fish tenkara you know in the mountains you know high gradient mountain streams where you kind of have to like hop along boulders and things like 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 that you don't have to do that in the driftless i don't want to say it's like a casual stroll because you need to keep your profile low there's a lot of kind of squatting and kneeling and things like that you don't want to give yourself away to the fish um but it's relatively easy and easy out you know it's it's a definitely a unique experience i've never fished anything yeah. like that before i went there yeah and what's what's cool about it too is it's not like they're the they're they're spring creeks and so they they stay cool and stuff um but they do have enough gradient that they're not they're not these placid right you know sheets of glass like you see on some of the like out west you'll see some of those pictures of these these spring creeks that are just totally placid and impossible to fish they're not like that they're generally lots of bend pools and enough gradient that you sort of do have a a riffle pool run structure you know so it's it's um not terribly difficult fishing yeah, yeah, but it's lots of fun. Um, and like I said, we went out there this, I guess it was the first week of June. Um, and we got a cabin. Uh, we actually didn't, we went to the camp out during, you know, the days and nights, but we actually had a cabin. We, did, we didn't stay in a tent. Um, Tenkara Angler had a cabin with a couple other folks. Um, and it was kind of an interesting mix of people. I mean, you and I were there for most of it. You actually stayed a little bit longer than I did, yeah. but we had, I don't know if you want to call it like a transient community kind of <laughs> coming in and out. I don't know what the best best way to describe it. So why don't you tell everybody who was in our who was in our cabin besides yourself and, and me? Yeah. So so my uh my good friend Larry came and and interestingly, so this was his first trip to the Driftless, and he's ten car fished a little bit before, but I think this is kind of the first time that he committed and kind of did it. For the whole the whole time he was there yeah. and it's cool because larry is uh i went to college with larry and he he's the guy that when i started fly fishing he took me out and showed me how to cast and he's the guy that kind of taught me how to fly fish so so it was cool to be able to kind of return the favor and get him you know get him onto tank car a little bit um so that was cool um and like i said it was his first trip there and uh, unfortunately conditions are a little tough it, they didn't live up to like the you know everything i was telling him but um but i think he had a good time and then the other the other guy that that came along was an interesting int interesting fella i met actually in the spring uh luong from uh tenkara tanuki um brought him along and they stopped and we we met in state college for a couple days well they were on their way to the fly fishing show and uh i guess in lancaster so i met bob and bob is uh he runs it's sunfish uh, let me look. I don't want to get it wrong. Just it's um. So he runs a company called Sunfish Woodworks. So look up sunfishwoodworks.com. He's on Instagram and he does he does fish carving. So he goes he'll he'll be at some of these fly the fly fishing shows. He'll maybe you know you'll see a six foot muskie or a giant four foot sunfish and so that's kind of what he does. He's giant fish carving. So I met him like I said in the spring and then he came out and fished. That was cool. I'd never really spent uh, that much time with him, but. But I think he really got into it. He he left as you know, he showed me pictures. He left Michigan to come fish. I guess the hex hatch maybe was happening and oh right, fishing. the infamous hex hatch. Yeah. Right. So they were fishing on boats going down the river at night, catching giant trout 
you know, these big browns, and he came to the drift list to these small streams. It's you know, at, at that time. But I think he had a good time. He he seemed like he was catching a lot of fish. Um, Luong was there for a while from Tanuki. Tanuki. Yep. So I love seeing Luong. He's a great guy. I don't know if 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 you ever met him. I mean, I, uh, he's just. I think Luong's just a just a friendly, generous kind of personality. You know, I really I really like him. Um, who else showed up there, Mike? We had um, Mike. Mike Lutz, right? Mike Lutz, yeah. Mike Lutz. So if anyone uh, remembers Badger Tankara, of course, it was Matt Smet and Mike Lutz. And he's a uh, ER doctor. So he was able to take carve out a little bit of time and come out and visit. I think it's the first time I'd seen him since the last um, event they put on, the uh, Midwest Tankara Fest. So mm -hmm. it was cool seeing Mike. Yeah, I, I kind of missed out on Mike. I kind of he came in the one day and then I left the next day, so I didn't really get yeah. to spend much time or fish with him. I think he was only there for a day or so, right? Yeah, anyway, he was there like mistaken. one night. Yeah, I yeah. didn't fish with him, but I got to chat with him, hang out. So that was cool. Yeah, so we had a nice mix of folks in the in the cabin for the week. Not to mention, you know, all the folks. There were, the turnout at the campsite was really really strong this year. I don't know what the final count was. I would guess it was probably about forty or so people, if not more. I mean, it was. It looked like a lot. I yeah, I don't know what the count was, but there was quite a few people for sure. Yeah, and then just to set the stage, what that usually is is you know they kind of the there's a a, a county park which is kind of like the head headquarters for the for the event, and people kind of you know that's. If they're camping, that's where they're staying. But, you know, usually every night, everybody, whether they're camping or not, kind of comes back to the campground, congregates, um, you know, have a meal, you know, tell stories, just, you know, all the good, nice, fun camaraderie that, um, you know, you're able to do in real time as opposed to, you know, delayed when you're doing it online or whatever like that. So it's really fun to like, you know, just meet people that you have been talking to, you know, online or, you know, might have seen their YouTube videos before or, you know, whatever it might be. I, that's why I really love those events. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. And it, it's funny as you, as you keep talking about these events, it, it, it makes me, takes me back to the beginning of Tankara in, in the United States, you know, back like 2009, mm -hmm. like you said, it was all online, you know, you meet all these people online and so many people, like you, Matt, um, so many people that I know, it was, that's how we met was through, like, through Tenkar online. And, and, and I also, it always makes me wonder about the whole Tenkar thing. Could it have happened the way it did without the internet? You know, like, could it yeah. have spread like it did? And I, I kind of think it would have been difficult for that to happen, you know? I do too. I agree with you. I think it was, I mean, that's a whole nother topic for a whole nother day. We could probably talk yeah. about, you know, an yeah. hour or whatever about that, but I think you're right. I mean, I think it was one of those things where, you know, there were a lot of social media platforms popping up at the right time. YouTube was yeah. getting popular. Facebook was getting popular. And yeah. Blogging. Absolutely. And, um, you know, Daniel and Tenkara USA, give them credit where it's due. They kind of got on them first, made a, created a little community and it definitely blossomed from there. Obviously other people hopped on and put their marks on it, whether it was, you know, Tenkara bum or some of the other folks after that. But um, it was definitely all online based and everybody was just trying to figure stuff out. It was kind of. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so Mike, why don't you, I know we, we, uh, this year in the Driftless was a little different than other years. So why don't you talk a little bit about what it was. we faced this year? It was. So normally when we go to the Driftless, um, you know, we, we, I think in the past when they've had the campouts, they've ranged from anywhere from like the middle of May to the beginning of June. This one happened to be the first basically weekend of June. Um, and sometimes when you're there, I mean, the weather can be very, very 
finicky or, or change on a dime. Like you could be there. I remember one year we were there, it snowed, yeah, um, you yeah. know, in May. Um, you definitely typically get a lot of rain. Um, there's usually at least a day where it's like raining all day solid and the other days, you know, it's, you know, raining for a couple hours or whatever, you know, all that sort of thing. You know, this year when we went, uh, we were basically told from everybody, like it hasn't rained here in a month. Um, and you definitely saw that the water levels were way down. Um, it was hot. I mean, I don't know remember what the temperatures was were, but I feel like it, it was you it know, got, mid. It, it got into the nineties. Yeah, yeah, definitely mid eighties, low nineties. Um, so the especially during the you know the middle of the day. Um, so it was just, I mean, it was tough fishing. You know, there, it, and what made it, I guess, what compounded it for a couple of days too, was we got the that Canadian wildfire haze. You remember yeah. that? Yeah, and it it turned the skies kind of you know that orangey color, and you know you'd go back after after a day of fishing or an evening fishing and be like, man, it's my breathing right, you know that sort of thing. So um, the fishing was definitely a lot harder this year. Usually when it's cooler and there's you know overcast and there's more water in the system, you know there's just way more places where you can fish. Fish are you know kind of more spread out in different places and you know a little bit more eager. But, um, you know, we had to kind of fish in the mornings and the evenings just to try to compensate for just the basically the temperatures and make it tolerable on ourselves. Right. I know you went out pretty. I mean, I look, I'm, I, I was a vacation for me. So I slept in a little bit. You know, I slept until <laughs> eight some days. But you were getting up at like what, like six, six thirty, something like that. Yeah. That, right. Hit, yeah. A couple of days we hit the stream at yeah, six or six thirty. Because yeah, like you say, by by nine thirty, it could be pretty brutal already by nine thirty, ten o'clock with, you know with you know because you're in those you're, you're generally there's no shade you know? right the, the, right the, the good part about it is there's no trees to get stuck in for the most part but then the back right. part there's no shade so it was tough but it, it was it was kind of cool it gave the whole thing a, a, a definitely a different um a different feel and part of it was kind of cool because like usually i go out and i fish all day like right. morning to you know i don't get started super early usually but but i fish all day long and then, but this time, you know, we take that big siesta in the middle of the day. Right. So you kind of hang out a lot more, talk a lot more. And I actually got to go, I tried out a bunch of restaurants that I never went to because, you know, usually I'm not stopping to, to eat in the middle of the day. So that was kind of cool. Um, and actually like kind of one of my highlights happened during one of those siestas. Um, so we were fishing uh, Mormon Creek Cooley, which is right outside of La Crosse. Okay. And my friend Larry told me that when he was coming in, in from i guess he came in in through lacrosse and he's like yeah there's this i saw this dave's guitar shop you, you know you got to go there you got to see what it's like and i was like ah, you know we're fishing i don't need to see the guitar store you know and so uh but then as as it developed and we needed a break anyway so we figured well we'll go check it out and if, if i know this isn't tank car related but i know there's got to be other guitar fans out there that go to the driftless if you're if you like guitars and you you go to the driftless to fish you have to make the trip to Dave's uh, guitar. Uh, it was, I, I don't think I've ever seen a, more guitars in one place, you know, to buy. He's got used, vintage, new, just about any brand you want to try, he's got them. And then upstairs is his private collection. Oh, wow. Just okay. Walls. I'll, I'll, I'll get some pictures we can post. Just walls of guitars. Like there's a whole wall of Les Pauls. There's a whole wall of Telecasters. And upstairs, they're all vintage you know, instruments from the fifties and sixties. Right. I mean, just looking around, I mean, there, there had to be, I don't know, $20 million worth of guitars. <laughs> like it was crazy. That's amazing. So if you're a guitar, if you're a guitar person, 
you know so next next time when i go i'm gonna i'm gonna save up i'm, I'm gonna try to avoid buying any guitars between now and then easier said than done but you know and buy one when i go up there because there was just so many it was it was amazing so nice. that was kind of a non-fishing related but but a result of the weather really because otherwise i'd have never gone so yeah yeah i mean look when, when we go to some of these places that aren't necessarily your home water like exploring is part of the fun as well like i like to eat in all kinds of weird different places that i would you know normally you actually turned me on to this one little like kind of hot dog ice cream stand i think it was called beanies and that Beanie, place was yeah. great <laughs> yeah everything you could get everything with a hot dog you could get an omelet with a hot dog I think there was like an open face hot dog with like sausage gravy for breakfast or something, yeah. something like when that. It went in Rome, I guess, right? <laughs> but, um, you know, that was definitely great. And, um, you know, it was an awesome day on that particular, or it was awesome on that particular day just to, to get out of the heat, you know, get into air yeah. thing and, you know, get something cool to drink. And yeah, we went to, too. you know, so the little town of Westby is pretty cool. And I guess it's, you know, you've got a lot of the Scandinavian heritage in that area. So the, we went to the, I think the restaurant was called Borgens. Yeah. And so I was looking at the menu and there was something, it was called a Lefsa wrap. And so I was like, what's this Lefsa wrap? She's like, well, it's a Lefsa. And then, you know, it's like a breakfast burrito. I'm like, hold it back up a second. Like, what's a Lefsa? <laughs> what's a Lefsa? <laughs> uh, yeah. So that was kind of, it was like a, uh, it's like a flatbread, but I guess it has potato flour and, and other flour. So it kind of was like a tortilla, but not as chewy as a tortilla. It was actually really yeah. good. So, so that was kind of cool to see some like some uh, of the original kind of flavor from the original settlers of the area. Very cool. Very cool. Well, food aside, um, let's talk maybe a little bit about the fishing, right? So we talked about how difficult it was or, or a little bit more difficult. I won't say it was difficult. I still caught a bunch of fish. What tactics did you use? What equipment? What tactics? What, how, what did you use to, you know, attack the driftless, I guess? Yeah, so... So this year, um, so rod-wise, I, I, one of my favorite rods of all time is the Tanuki 375. I just think it's a great length rod. It's kind of in between a lot mm -hmm. of rods. Um, and I, it'll do anything I, I want it to do. I can fish. It's very versatile. If I want to fish nymphs, I can do that. And I can switch. I can switch level lines, furrow lines. It'll handle all that stuff. So that's the rod I used for the first couple days. And I'll level line with that. And then I had the, the Kita uh, 330 from uh, Tenkara Rod Company that I hadn't had a chance to use a ton. So then the rest of the trip, I used that. And I actually used it with, um, and this is going to be, this, this is a selfish on my part, but I want to use this platform to ask anyone, <laughs> if anyone out there makes furled, uh, custom furled Tenkara lines, let me know. Drop a, a note, because I can't find, um, since Streamside Leaders is no longer available, um, uh, there's no one that I know of that's doing that, you know, where he was able, you were able to go in and make a custom line, just kind of ev pick everything you wanted. So yeah, if anyone yeah. knows, knows about that, you know, if anyone's doing that, let me know. But so the rest of the trip I fished, um, with that Kita with a, with a light furled line and I can't find another one like it. Mm -hmm. So they're like, um, there were ones I had Mike Moline make me from Streamside. Uh, one's fluorocarbon and one was nylon mono. So instead of like a thread furled line and those, uh, but those mono, those ones made with mono, nylon, or fluorocarbon are, um, uh, they're much lighter. You know what I mean? They're kind of yeah, like, they yeah. don't, they're not, they're not so limp. They don't soak up the water. So I really like those a lot when I'm fishing because I can go back and forth between dry flies and Tenkara's techniques and stuff pretty easily. I just think they're great right. lines. So, so that's what I used a lot because I switch back and forth a lot depending on 
what you know on the same stream if i'm in a section that that i might want to say i come across a nice pool that i might want to do a dry dropper to get the nymphs to drift it i'll switch switch up you know and switch back and forth but so that was the the rods i was using but then um like technique wise you know, i did a lot of nymphing and actually like you know the killer bug which in tankara circles is kind of a a big fly that a lot of people know about yeah i never had luck with them i just never used them but i was fishing one of these small streams i went out one morning early actually this was in the middle of the afternoon um i went out and i went to a tiny stream i figured maybe i'd head way upstream where it was close to the springs that'd be nice and cool the fish yeah. were, were fine you could see the fish out in the flats you know the, you know the fish were not thermally stressed the water was cold uh, but it was super shallow and and uh, any of the beadhead nymphs I had were just too, they were just sinking too fast. So I put in these like unweighted killer bugs Okay. and, uh, and just had a great morning, just caught a ton of fish. Um, so it was, it was kind of fun to have, like, you know, I kind of feel like I'm late to the party, but I just never had great luck with them. So it reminded me, and I've had friends that are like a friend of mine is a competitive angler, you know, is it, you don't all, if, even if you're nymphing, make sure you have some lighter nymphs, you know, like sure. don't. Yeah. Speed heads are so popular now, but like it reminded me to have some old fashioned nymphs that aren't weighted and that you can fish those shallow ripples and stuff. Sure. Because the, the year before, this year not as much, but last year, I don't know if you remember, the fish were really holding the riffles, like in shallow mm -hmm. ripples. Yeah, 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 yeah. And if you had on a beehead fly, it was just, you know, it was too heavy. Um, so I, I, you know, I fished that killer bug a lot. And then, like you say, crawling around, like, you know, I spent most of my time, you know, crawling around hands and knees unless you could find something to hide behind sure but if you thought you were just gonna it, it brought that it was a lesson relearned is that you know if you're fishing somewhere that you know there's fish and you're not you don't seem to be catching any fish like that's kind of the first thing i go to now is like it's up your stealth it's my stealth right yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the first the first change i make is like okay i'm not being careful and i gotta be stealthier so that right. this year made a huge difference and it was hard fishing with two people. I don't know if you found that to be the case. Like it was hard this year. In other years, it seems like you could have a group of people fish along the stream. And right, you, right. this year, it was really tough if you were with another person. Um, it's just tough getting around and not spooking fish for each other. So Yeah, yeah, I did find that. It, it was tougher to get around just in general because we went a little bit later this year and the grass was so much higher. Yeah. So going through those fields was a little bit of like navigating a, a bit of a jungle. Yeah, I, I kind of did a mix of fishing with people and going solo. Um, I fixed, I fished with Matt one day. I fished with uh, Dave Rossett one day. Um, you know, I fished sort of with Mike Lutz <laughs> one day. Um, he was kind of on a different section of the stream, but we all kind of, you know, went there at the same time. Um, but, you know, the other times I, I kind of went by myself and, um, you know, I kind of had the same observations as you, you know, in terms of, you know, needing to be stealthy and, you um, that's actually one of the benefits I think that Tenkara does bring to the game a little bit when you have the longer lines. And since you don't have the overhead impediments, you could fish a 13, you know, probably fish with 14 or a 15 foot rod if you had one, but it allows you to kind of get back from the bank a little bit. Like you don't have to go down right. into the water right. to fish the driftless. Um, and you can and get it, over those, over those, those plants you're talking about, those yep. weeds, you know, you can kind of get down and get, get your rod and line up and over that stuff. Yeah, yeah, and I was using waiter gators with knee pads for the first time um, this trip, and my God, they saved my knees because I was crawling yeah. all around, and it was just nice to have knee pads on because, you know, just I, I'm 46 years old, my knees are creaky, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'm not, I'm yeah. not, I'm not a, you know, a 
20 something anymore. So, um, you know, that made the fishing, you know, a lot more enjoyable too. Um, as far as what I fished, you know, just kind of, you know, I, I fished probably three rods. I fished the Nishin Oni Hanryu 395, probably the, most of the time. Um, and when I fished those, that was usually when I decided I was going to fish, um, nymphs or something with some weight on it. Um, you know, so when we fished bigger waters, you know, I usually fished that. Um, I will say there was one day I went out by myself to one of my kind of, you know, I won't say it's top secret because I found it in like a guidebook, but it's one that I don't <laughs> like to tell a lot of people about because it's a little bit small, um, but it has brown trout and brookies in it. And I fished the dragon tail Kaida. Um, and that one I was using, you know, non bead heads. I was using unweighted flies and that rod, I, I really, really like that rod. When it first came out, I was like, Oh, you know, it's just another zoom rod. It's just smaller. Um, but there's just something about it. it's really light in hand. The, the graphite like tube or, you know, blanks or whatever, they're like thin. They're not that thick one. So it's like really light right. and crisp. And I, I really, really like that rod, um, a lot. It was one that the more I fish with it, I've since fished with it again in, in, um, in North Carolina. Um, it's really, really growing on me, but it was, it was a workhorse that day. Um, you know, on that, on that smaller Creek probably caught, that's probably the best numbers day I had, you know, up in the probably about 35, 40 fish and a mix between Browns and rookies. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, it was fishing was hard this year. I'm not going to lie. It was, uh, not, not the typical spring driftless trip, but it was definitely pretty fun. Um, as far as 2024, I assume they're going to have it again. I think it's going to be the the 10 year anniversary of, oh, wow. yeah, of the camp out, if I'm not mistaken. So um, I'm looking forward to you know getting out there again, given you know my schedule, you know, uh, you know permits or whatever. How about you? Is it going to be a annual thing? You think? Yeah, I mean, I, I've tried to get out there. You know, I, I think I think the first year I went out with was 2014. Unrelated to the the Midwest Tank Car, I had already made plans before I knew about the Midwest Tank Car Fest. I was I was out the week before that, I think. So I've I've gotten back almost every year since. I mean, with some exceptions, we had mm-hmm. a couple a couple years we I couldn't go because of family medical things. But um, but yeah, I try to go every year. Yeah, cool. Yeah, well, we'll if, if we do when we do hear about the dates or hear some more concrete things about it, if you know what Anthony and I just talked about for the last fifteen minutes piques anybody's interest, um, you know, we'll obviously post it on you know tenkaraangler.com in our event section, um, you know, and try our best to kind of promote that event. Like I said, it's probably one of the best ones in 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 terms of you know just getting a a large turnout, meeting a lot of different people. Um, and you know, since it is sort of centralized in the, in the country, you know, you can it get is, it from yeah. both the West and the East coast. It's not, right. you know, it's not necessarily coastal either. Yeah. And it's, I mean, like I, I live in Pittsburgh, so I usually drive and I, I used to always do it in one day now yeah. I'm breaking it up, but, um, so it's like a 12, 13 hour, well, 13, 14 hour drive for me, depending on how I go. Um, but, um, yeah, so it's drivable. Yeah. Like you say, it's so centrally located. You can yeah. get it's a, yeah. Yeah. And while like the towns that we're talking about are really small, there are some major airports if you want to fly as opposed to drive that you can get into. For example, I flew into Minneapolis, Minnesota, which might sound like we're talking about it's not that far away. It's maybe like yeah. a once you get a rental car or whatever, it's maybe a two hour and 15 minute drive down to, you know, where we're talking about. That's the big I think the closest major airport, but you could also fly into Madison. Um, or into some smaller airports, even closer, but you'd have to connect through, you know, Chicago or maybe Minneapolis or, or something like that. So yeah, it's pretty, pretty cool event. I'm looking forward to it again next year. Absolutely. Cool. So 
since then, um, I know I've been doing a little bit of fishing. You've been doing a little bit of fishing. What's what's your what's your fishing summer looked like? Um, yeah. So anyone who who knows me personally on, you know, in real life or on the on the social medias, probably knows I've my I've got a situation now where I'm close to some some trout fishing. We have um, we have a, a little place um, in central Pennsylvania now where I can I have access to two trout streams like in a i could i could walk to them i haven't really been walking to them but i could actually i need to get i need it once i get my wet wading system set up so that i don't have to be walking down the road in my you know clunky wading boots and, and waders then yeah then i could walk to them in, in five minutes but yeah so i've I'm, I'm very excited to be able to see these streams as they kind of change over time i haven't been fishing a lot we're, we're kind of getting settled into our place and doing a lot of uh, stuff a lot of stuff and but I've been I've been walking the dog a lot along the streams and watching the fish nice. you know, and and they're kind of some of them I feel like I can't fish for them now because I see the same fish <laughs> I know where they are you know I'll be like well there's gonna be one right here by this wall there's one up by that rock you know so those fish now I feel like are like my pets so I I can't fish for those guys but uh but yeah so it's kind of cool the the it's like it's been hot so I've fished a couple times in the morning and it's actually today I fished today. And um, I thought I would have an amazing day because it had rained last night. There's a stream gauge right near where I'm fishing, so I can okay. yeah. I can watch it pretty closely, you know. So I know overnight uh, the, the flow the day before was 30 cfs. Overnight it went up to 260. And oh wow! Dropped back to, yeah, and it dropped back down to 50 by the time I went out. And at 50, it's kind of cool to get a feel for this. Now I know if the gauge says 50, it's fishable. It looks nice. It's a little bit of color. But it looked beautiful. I thought I should be catching a ton of fish. I was I was nymphing because it's a limestone stream, and I you know, and there's no noticeable bug activity or anything. So I thought, you know, I'd put on a, a muskrat nymph, like or like a waltz worm kind of thing, and nothing. I'm not catching anything. And I I put on a smaller, like a little zebra midge, and nothing. And I'm going through beautiful water. I mean, I know there's fish there, and and I should be catching fish. Um, so I finally, um, just about to finish. And I had to go back downstream a little bit, so I put on a um, a wet fly, a caddis pupa wet fly, mm -hmm. and I figured I'd fish that downstream a little bit as I was going, and I started catching fish. So it was it was kind of like relearning that lesson. Over the last few years, I, I I've gone I've nymphed a lot and not yeah. done more you know tankara style fishing, um, but today that that's what worked for the fish. Once I did that. I kind of quit in about 10 minutes, but I think I caught five fish in about 10 minutes on one of the nicest one I've got so far in the stretch, all on like a, a wet fly cast into the riffles and then given a little bit of motion or let it drift below uh -huh. me. And so it was cool to see, like, to kind of reconnect with that Tankara, you know, more Tankara like fishing and see the active, you know, the active fishing with some action, you know, outproduce the, the nymphs. So that was kind of cool. And I'm excited, you know, tomorrow to to go out and try it again and see like if did I did I figure something out or was it just a you know you know how it happens sometimes right? You luck, think you right. Out yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> and the next day it doesn't work at all. But so that was kind of cool. I it was it was cool to reconnect like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So you you wrote a post. I guess it was last week. I guess depending on when people are actually listening to it, it might be obviously not last week. But you wrote a post last week about journaling. Yeah. Um, so are you writing these things down um, that, you've been, that you've been doing? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm, I've so far I've been faithful to, to, I haven't taken it out with me cause I, I, that's still difficult for me to stop while I'm fishing and do it. 
yeah. and, and write stuff down. So I'm not, I'm not recording every single fish. And like, like there were some response. If you go to look at that post, there are some responses that are amazing. Some people go to like, there are numerous people mentioned that they use spreadsheets, right? You know, yeah. And, and things like that. So I'm not doing it to that level. I mean, I'd kind of, I'd, I'd like to think that I'm the kind of person that would do that. I mean, I'm an engineer and I, I kind of, sometimes I miss doing spreadsheets, but, um, but I know if I make it too complicated, I just won't do it. So I've just been more more qualitative, you know, writing down. But I'm writing like the the temperatures, the the since I've engaged nearby stream flows and and what worked and what didn't work. And and kind of one of the imp- the impetus for doing this is as I was packing for the driftless, I came across a notebook that had one of my driftless trips. I actually wrote every day. In. So that's that's where I go. So the neighbor is outside, so Roscoe has to let him in. But, um, yeah, so I found this journal, and it was really cool to go back. That, the one thing about the Driftless is all the streams kind of start to you, – you think you'll remember it, but they all kind of look the same. So right. at, at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's kind of difficult to remember. Well, where did I do this? Where was that one pool that was that – you know? So it was actually cool to go back and, and see that, you know. Um, so that was kind of one of the things. I, so, so I'm hoping that as time goes by, I'll be able to see – like the seasonality and how yeah. things are, how, how it's changing with time or even with like the rain flows like that. So, so two days ago, the flow got up to um, like, uh, what was it? Uh, it was like eight times, you know, it went up, there was a huge rain. So it got over almost nine times the flow. And then yeah. the next day it came back down, um, which was today. Uh, it was two days ago. So it's just curious too, to see like how that I've never been fortunate enough to be able to like fish, the same piece of water and watch things happen like that yeah so i'm hoping to learn something you know yeah that's really cool and the oh. journaling will help we ho- hopefully the journey journaling will like i, I won't forget it as quickly right as right right, right. <laughs> yeah I, well I, i'm excited for you it's got to be awesome to actually you know have a have a place that's so close to trout water you know i live yeah, like yeah. six it, hours it, away so it, like that's that's pretty amazing Right. It's and and I you know and I I don't know, I think I told you this I ran into a sort of a miner anyone from Pennsylvania probably knows the guy I ran into a miner I don't say miner in Pennsylvania kind of a fly fish a known not a fly fisherman but a known trout fisherman Frank Nail so the one one day so if anyone knows him he's a spin fisherman and he um, he's just known for his the numbers of fishes fish that he catches and uh, yep. keeps track of every fish he reports it at the end of the year he even ha- I think he already he does I think he reported the first half of the year already with his numbers. And there, there are insane numbers of fish he catches. But it was kind of cool for me, though, because he had just gone through the section of stream that I have immediate access to. Right. The, the exact section that I'll be fishing a lot and, and, and told me how many fish he caught. And so it was, it was good to have some context. So if, if it's that kind of thing. If you know the fish are there, right, you fish mm-hmm. harder. So I go through and I catch one fish and he goes through and catches 50. Then I know, well... I get out my game, you know, so for me, right. it was kind of cool. It wasn't, you know, discouraging at all. It was like, okay, cool. Now I know, you know, I just got to work harder. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll be looking forward to your year end recap and your fish yeah. talk per minute and, <laughs> and all those sorts of things for the end of 2023. For, for those that have, that aren't familiar with Frank, you really should like Google, Google Frank nail trout recap or, or something like that. I have never seen somebody document numbers quite to the extent that he does it's amazing like it, it's, yeah, it's it's incredible and he was he was he was super nice he gave me he gave me some info on another access point and everything so he was he was friendly super nice guy cool very awesome very awesome well that's awesome um 
I've done a little bit of fishing myself, um, you know, since the, I, I think I've, I squeezed all my fishing into June so far this summer, uh, mentioned the driftless the first week, um, kind of like the last two weeks of June, one weekend I went up to North Georgia, uh, one of my favorite places up there. And then the weekend after that, I guess it was father's day weekend. I went up to North Carolina and they were two very different trips. Um, oh, really? yeah, the Georgia trip, you know, they're not that far apart like if you were actually yeah. looking at them on a map there may be it's maybe like an hour and a half drive from one place to the other oh. place um so it's not that far at all it's all like the southern blue ridge i mean it i should probably say an hour and a half maybe as the crow flies you know how it is driving through the mountains it takes yeah. a little bit longer to get places um but north georgia i fish in a um a wildlife management area um it's catch and release only but it's wild fish um, not necessarily native but wild so there's rainbows and browns and rookies if you go super high and that day was like picture perfect like what you would think of like the japanese tenkara guys doing yeah. like that's what it was like it was nice. sunny the fish were active i was fishing kabari um that was actually the, the day that i fished the um the talon mini so it does handle level line and kabari, unweighted flies perfect um, and they were just super eager. They weren't big, you know, they, I think the biggest one I caught was maybe 10 or 12 inches long, but you know, it was just a ton of fish, which was phenomenal. It was just nice. one of those things that after coming back from the drift list, it gave me faith in my own fishing again. Like, I, can, <laughs> I can fish. I do remember how to fish. Um, so that was the one trip. And then the next weekend I you know, drove back to Florida, worked during the week and then drove up to, um, Maggie Valley. Um, North Carolina because they were having their first annual fly fishing festival. Oh, uh, cool. And if anybody's familiar with Maggie Valley, it's just this little kind of, you know, foot of the mountain, you know, kind of cool little town, a um, little touristy, but it's, it's fun nonetheless. And, um, you know, they were having this fly fishing festival. So I thought, Hey, I'll pop in there, you know, kind of walk around that they had live music and all that stuff and then go fish, you know, during, during the day. Um, and, you know, do the festival kind of in the evening. I think yeah, the festival went to about seven o'clock at night and, um, it was a really, really fun time. You know, there was a really good turnout at the festival. I was pretty surprised considering it was like the first year they were doing it. You know, they not only had, you know, local vendors and, you know, they had all kinds of obviously like fair food and stuff like that, yeah. but they, they had like the local fly shop was kind of running it. Um, and then I guess what they probably had is I, w I wouldn't say they were necessarily like the brands themselves, but it was probably like the local reps from the brands, you know, various fly okay. fishing brands had booths. Yeah, that's cool. Um, and then, you know, kind of some mom and pop people that are in, you know, tying flies and, and things like that. It was really, really fun. There was no Tankara presence there other yeah. than myself wandering around. So maybe I can convince Jason Sparks that we need to yeah. get a table there next year or something Absolutely. like that. But um, it was a really, really fun little event. And then from there, I just fished, um, you know, Smoky Mountains National Park. Um, great smoky mountains and um unfortunately it had rained that entire week so we were talking about no rain no rain yeah. no rain i got hit with the rain and you know that morning like even the the smoke the national park service like put something on the great smoky mountains page like you know water is unusually high you know be yeah. careful around the water all that stuff but i'm like i'm here i'm yeah. going to go fishing and um you know that day i used the the kaida again um and but i i fished nymphs um because the water was high and generally fast i was just looking for any sort of little pockets i could and you know probably got into you know maybe about a dozen or so rainbows but nothing particularly you know not not as frequent as the week before in georgia so it was kind of like a tale of two trips uh, both were great both were 
not in Florida. They were both cool, you know, a lot, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know 75 to 80 degrees um, as opposed to the 95 or whatever that I have that right here. But, um, you know, it was, they were both great experiences. And um, now the question is like, when can I, I get, you know, head up there or somewhere else next, you know, it's not super easy for me to do that. And, um, you know, uh, at least in Florida, school's going to be starting before you know it. It's so, like my daughter's be going, going to school and all that stuff. So I got to, the summer's almost over. I hate to say it. It's crazy how quick it goes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking for, I, I love the fall anyway, but yeah. Yeah. That break in the temperature because you do, I mean, you don't want to stress the trout. I mm-hmm. think that's why I've been trying to just fish in the mornings and when it's the coolest and stuff. So it'll be nice to get out. And I mean, I, I used to fish up. I don't stress out about fishing as much as I used to. I used to go all the time just to right. to. Now it's kind of nice. Like, you know, I can take the break and I don't feel like I have to fish all summer and all winter. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, when I used to live in Pennsylvania, I used to go out every weekend, you know, just cause it was close yeah. and it was easy. Now it's, you know, maybe once or twice a month if I can, if I can manage it. So yeah. When you, when you were in Philly, how close were you? I know you fish Valley Creek and stuff. Mm-hmm. Just, how close were you to that? How close is that to, to home? 15 minutes. Like, oh, it, really? yeah, okay. it was really close. So I lived off of, um, you know, there's a, it's a, you know, an interstate or whatever. Um, and it was basically just a quick shot down from where I lived to, to Valley Forge National Park. And, you know, that park, if anybody's ever fished there, um, it, it has its issues with, you know, kind of urban encroachment from time to time. Um, but it does have a wild um, brown trout population right in the middle of all that, you know, kind of cool George Washington troops, you know, that sort of history. And it, um, yeah, it's really pretty fishing. It's fairly open in most places. So it's easily accessible. Um, you know, sometimes it's just hard to find a spot to park that's convenient because it is, you know, in a national park and people are parking in places to go see the national park type things. But, you know, it's, they do have a, a trout unlimited there. Um, you know, so people do fish it. Um, but I, I can't tell you when I go there, it's, it's never been super crowded or anything, but yeah, it was like 15 minutes from my house. So it was super, super convenient, super easy to get into, you know, wild, not native, but wild, you know, brown trout, which is really cool. That's cool. Yeah. 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 So I think that's pretty much it. Oh, actually I did want to ask you one other thing real quick. You know, when I did go up to North Carolina, I mentioned that the water was high. It was fast, you know, stuff like that. I'm curious, what do you do? Do you fish in, in conditions like that? Do you just not go out? Like, I'm just, what would be a, I don't know if you have any advice for anybody that, you know, wants to go, still go fishing, you know, say they yeah. go, on a, go on a trip or something like that. And they're faced with a condition like that. How would you attack that water? I mean, obviously you think about safety first, if the water looks, if it isn't safe looking, I mean, if you're on a small, even on a small stream, I mean, I could tell you, I, I felt I, when I was fishing, uh, I think it was in North Carolina mm-hmm. on a small stream with Rob Worthing and, and Eric. And there was this rhododendron bank that I didn't want to go up. And I thought I could like sneak around this rock that went into the water. Yeah. And I stepped, along this this rock that kind of slid into the water and it i never touched the bottom my foot just kept sliding oh uh, no the that's the was, worst feeling yeah right right so the stream was maybe 10 feet wide and i never hit the bottom of this hole i went up to my chin and and so so i guess the first part is even even on a small stream you you, you know you can get in trouble so first mm-hmm. of all yeah be careful and be safe but but yeah i've been i'm actually really surprised i've fished in some 
some pretty high conditions, like water pretty high and stuff, and had a lot of luck. And the one thing, and it's not tank car fishing, but often when I'm when I have those conditions, I'll do dry dropper fishing. I'll put a dry fly okay. on, mm-hmm. and then the and I'll drop a nymph off of it, and and then hit those, you know, the pockets. If you can get find some pocket water or the edges, I'll hit the edges of the stream and fish in the slow water across that fast current. Right. try to hit all the slow pockets and a, and a dry fly with the dropper is just a good way to do that because it keeps your if you try to just cast your nymph in there or your kabari it just gets pulled out so quickly so right. with that dry dropper you can you can float it in those soft spots a lot more so so i know it's not not tinkara but but it works <laughs> that's okay it works if you, if, like i said if, you, if you're going on that trip and you want to try to fish no matter what you sometimes yeah. you gotta bend those rules yeah just, uh, so that's what i do and then and then the driftless the one year, then I started using um uh uh what do you call it? the uh, past like wet fly that has that white wing, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's another thing I'll do when the water's up, I'll put on like a wet fly. But I like the past lake a lot because it has that I feel like in those conditions, you know, it's kinda fish could see it, you know. So what about yourself? Do you avoid that water? Yeah, so the one thing that I did this trip, and I don't usually do it on all my trips, is I did bring a wading staff. Um, I just, I just wanted that extra point of contact. Um, you know, I, I understand that I'm getting older. I'm not invincible anymore. Right. So, um, you know, I have a, I have a nice, it's one of, it's actually not, you know, one of those collapsible staffs. It's actually like a solid, (laughs) like kind of piece of wood or whatever, you know, a wood, a wood stick, um, uh, from Tyrone. Um, that it was great. You know, it, it helped me just as, like I said, another point of contact help with stability, help checking depth, you know, like you mentioned, yes. you kind of poke that down in the, in something that's a little bit un, uncertain. Cause a lot of times, right. Like you can't, even if you're wearing polarized glasses, you can't see right. like the bottom, especially when it's overcast or something like that. Yeah. So, that's a really good point. The waiting staff is like pretty crucial in those conditions for sure. You know, and in general, like if you, you know, it's best not to go out by yourself in those conditions either. Yeah. Like, sure we all do it. But it's mm-hmm. probably best to be with someone, you know, when you're in those, at any time you're fishing, really. Um, I know I always let my wife know if I'm going to be by myself. I always, I drop a pin where I'm parking. Where you're going. I tell where that's I'm going. If you don't hear from me by, you know, nine o'clock or whatever, that's where you send the search party. But well, hopefully yeah. she's never had to send any. No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah we're not, we're not getting any, I mean, I've got a, my ankles. I got to kind of got a bum ankle now. So um, the waiting's kind of tough, but yeah, waiting step for sure. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the one thing I, that I use as far as like gear goes. And then, you know, as far as fishing goes, I, you know, I, I was actually fishing nymphs that day. I wasn't, you know, fishing a, you know, a hopper dropper or a dry dropper or anything like that. Um, but I was just basically looking for, you know, kind of the softer spots of water. Yeah. I mean, sometimes the water's tearing through those in certain directions. It's not, you know, super big sections, but you know, just the way the rocks are arranged or whatever it's coming through. So I was just looking for soft water and that seemed to be where I picked out the majority you know the majority of my fish so that's kind of what i would suggest to people but you know obviously safety first if you're not confident going into that water don't you know it's better yeah. to better to go out another day no matter how far you traveled to. yeah we i remember one one time it was a huge runoff in colorado and we were, went to fish the roaring river and uh i think that's what it was the, the one that the frying pan meets up with and okay. um the the water the guy at the fly shop you know, of course, they're going to tell you to. Usually, they're going to tell you to go out just because they want to sell you some flies. Sure. And just fish the edges. You know, you give us the big stone fly nymphs, and we we go and we start fishing, and you could hear like rocks coming down the river. Oh, like, really? Yeah. 
like you'd hear, doo, 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 you know, you could hear that that yeah. sort of real bassy sound of these big rocks getting blown down the river. And so we're like, no, we're we're not going to wait in that. <laughs> Let's go get lunch. Out that boulder. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, hopefully we both can get out. Um, you know, soon again. I know you've got you know, obviously your place now, and you know I'd like to get out again. And you know, hopefully I know we're we're going to try to meet up in the fall or something like that. Yeah. So. I did want to before we sign off. I, I kind of yeah. forgot when we were talking about the driftless. Yeah, go ahead. Thing that um, there's this product. Now we're not, I'm buggins. Not, buggins. So like if not just in, in Wisconsin, obviously, but if you're anywhere, if you've ever been out and you're getting attacked by those gnats, they may not even be biting gnats, but they're getting in your ears and in your eyes and they go up your nose and like deep doesn't do anything for them. This stuff, the Buggins, uh, that's, it's a, they have two different, they have different formulas. This one is for gnats and no And it kind of, it's like an herbal thing and it, it's got, you know, peppermint, lemongrass, clove, and some other things. Kind I think kind of smells like bubble gum. But anyway, it won't it won't damage your gear either like DEET does. But this stuff actually really works on those gnats. And it's not it's all natural, I think. So anyway, if you're going out to the driftless or anywhere where it's buggy with other bugs and not just mosquitoes, give this stuff a try. It's really good. And like I said, not sponsored by buggins, but but you'll 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 be glad you have it. The other thing I wanted to talk about, we were talking about nymphing a lot, and I got this the other day from uh, from Dragon Tail, it's this um, 1.5 gal line. So it's 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 originally, I think, for bass fishing. So it's not sold initially as a Tankara line, but it's a fluorocarbon, high vis orange, um, and it's you, it's hard to find like line that small, you know. So it's 1.5. Yeah, right. yeah. And I I I love it. I'm like. It's like my new favorite line. If I know I'm going to be going out and I'm doing fixed line nymphing, yep. like this stuff is great because it's just, it's pretty limp. It's soft. It seems like pretty supple, more supple than a Tenkara line right. generally is. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, it's not great if you're going to be casting anything wind resistant, but like if you're, if you like nymphing with your Tenkara rod and you're looking for like a really light line, but something that's still high biz, mm-hmm. like I really like this. The only thing I'd be, it is a little, you know, it's a little, uh, I don't know what the word is, but because it's the diameter smaller, you know, it's, I usually wind my line on my, the, the grip of my rod. Yeah. You're one with, of those. Events. Yeah. I'm one of those people. So with like a number three or number four line, it's got, it's, it's substantial enough that you don't usually don't end up with this rat's nest. Okay. Like with this yeah. stuff though, it's kind of almost like tip it in itself in a way. You know what I mean? So I tried doing that with this and it came off and it was just this, ball <laughs> so i would recommend putting on a, on a spool but anyway i never used it before and I, I think they might have it in in two as well i'm not sure but anyway i loved it cool. so what's it called again for, for everybody uh well i got it's it's uh ultra sight and i got it on dragon tail uh t- dragon tail tankara so okay if you go to their line uh thing you'll see it there i'm not sure what they're calling it on the website well we could put a link in the in the yeah they will find it we'll put a link in the show notes but it's I it was pretty good. So, and then the other, this is the other thing I want to just touch base on. I made a post about a while back about trying to, the un, unsuspecting minimalist, I might've called it. And I got this pack a while ago from 10 car rod company. And um, when I first got it, like I was like, it's too small. I'm never going to use it, but um, it's actually like become like my go-to pack now. So 
it is it is small but it's got this the uh, this thing on the bottom where you can put your um you know your spools of line or tippet at some points on the side where you can put stuff and i i use these small um fly boxes you know that you can get on amazon oh the thin ones yeah yeah the real thin one and so i could fit like three of them in there but um anyway so i'm still using that so i just thought to follow up on that um i'm still really enjoying that actually and uh, and kind of surprisingly because i thought it was going to be too small but i'm kind of really enjoying it and it's forcing me to like like i thought it's just forcing me to like be a little more considerate about what i'm taking you know I'm not, i can't take a bunch of junk you know sometimes you don't have what you need but but you make do like today i probably would if i had more stuff with me i may have never ended up using that that caddis wet fly because i would have right. probably had what i thought i needed you know right like this, I, I was forced to try something different so yeah it's always interesting trying to find that medium of you know i, I know a lot of people come to tankara for minimalism yeah. but you know there's that that difference between having not enough and you know maybe having those options you know like you just mentioned right. you know having that extra fly box yeah fly or whatever i know everybody kind of does it for their own reasons but um, that's always just an interesting you know balance for some and i say that as i just posted something on my instagram you know a picture of my rod rack <laughs> i have 23 different tankara rods so minimalism well, is not in my recipe i guess that's well that's the dirty secret of tankara i think right because i fished fly fished for many many years 25 years and i think i had at any one time maybe i had three fly rods like mm -hmm. a three weight like a five weight and a six weight or something like that, you know? Yeah. Um, and I was happy, you know, and I had a reel that fit with each one and that was what I used, you know? Um, but yeah, then I take up 10 car, which is supposed to be, you know, simple. <laughs> and I end up Rod with line fly, 50, right? 50 rods. <laughs> so, yeah. They're just so easy to collect. Um, they are. They're so small. <laughs> collect them all. Well, awesome. Well, let, let's close this up. I do have a couple, I guess, um, Tenkara angler related commercials, I guess, in closing. Um, the first one is we talked a lot about um, community events in this episode. Uh, we did kind of touch on briefly the 2023 Tenkara camp, which is the event that we hold um, as Tenkara angler. As I mentioned earlier in the podcast, we held it in Tennessee. Um, we'd love to start planning the one for 2024, but would love to get some feedback or ideas from our readership on where we should hold it. Um, the last couple ones that we've held have been in the Southeast, um, primarily because Jason Sparks has been the one that's kind of taken the lead up on setting them up. And he, you know, lives in North Carolina. So the first one was in, you know, uh, North Carolina side of the Smokies. And this past year, as I said, was in the Tennessee side of the Smokies. But there's no reason, really, that they need to necessarily be there. Um, you know, if somebody has a great place where there's a lot of different water, uh, water that people can fish, that you're not, everybody's not all on the same water. And then there's obviously accommodations and things like that, whether it's a campground or, you know, a group camp or, you know, something like that where people can congregate kind of all in the same place. We'd love to get your thoughts um, on what might be a good location for the 2024 Tankara Camp. And if you have, you know, say it's not somebody that lives in our necessary location where we're at, you know, like I said, Jason's in the Southeast, I'm in the Southeast, Matt's in, uh, you know, the upper Midwest and Anthony's in, in uh, Western Pennsylvania. Um, somebody wants to kind of help us potentially scout those places out and be an organizer. We'd love to hear it. I mean, I'd love to consider doing this. I, mean, I don't know about you, Anthony. I think doing one out West would be cool. That'd um, be great. That'd you know, be great. 
you know, I know they do. Uh, Redbrook has the one in New England, but we haven't gone up there yet. There's there's lots of different places where this could potentially be held. Um, you know, we just would love some suggestions and maybe a little bit of help in kind of figuring it out. So, uh, where would you like to actually have? If you had like a dream Tenkara camp, where would it be? Me? Yeah. I I haven't been out west for a while. Yeah. So, yeah. So I love Colorado. Um, I I think Colorado would be cool. It's tough to go wrong with Colorado. I, yeah. I would say. I mean, that. great. Rocky Mountain National Park is cool. You know, mm-hmm. you've got like uh, lots of lodging around there. You know, that's not outrageously expensive too. You know. Sure. Sure. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't. I, I actually the one the the Tenkara back when there used to be Tenkara USA. Yeah. Summits, I really like the one that was in the Shenandoah National Park. Area, oh yeah, that's cool. You know, still kind of leans towards the southeast a little bit, but yeah. I really like that one. I'd like to go back there. If not even as part of a Tenkara camp, but you know, it's just you know a reason to get back up there and, and fish a little bit. I, I like that area a lot. Yeah, that was really cool. That was a nice place. Cool. A um, couple other just housekeeping. Um, we would love it. Um, you know, obviously Tenkara Angler is a forum where we can tell where we'd love to tell your stories about fixed line fly fishing or Tenkara. And I know a lot of people have been out fishing this summer. Um, so if you have any stories that you'd like to tell, you know, please go to our website. We'd love it. Um, you know, if you'd submit pictures, stories, whatever, we'd post them to the website. You know, I think a lot of people tend to post stuff on Instagram or Facebook or whatever these days, but they're usually just pictures with a little bit of, you know, text. If there's something that you feel is worthy of a little bit longer form, you know, we'd love to host that on Tenkara Angler. So, you know, we encourage, um, you know, anybody to just, you know, use the, the, the button on our website to, um, you know, submit their stories or just contact us through the email um, and we can kind of help you craft, uh, craft a story. We've gotten a couple interesting ones in already this summer that we've kind of been parsing out, but I'd love to, I'd love to keep that flow, you know, going. Yeah. I'd love to, this is a, a personal plea from me is I would love, I, I remember when I, st- when I started Tenkara, that people would talk about Tenkara technique You'd hear that word a lot, but not see a lot of specifics about what people meant, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think, for for new for people trying to get in into Tenkara that might get to Tenkara Angler, I would love for for those of you out there who do practice more traditional Tenkara and stick with like a more you know uh, active presentation and that kind of thing. I would love to hear from people like that, you know, like and I, I think there's probably a lot of people that would love to see more of that. Like when people say Tenkara, what do they mean? You know, right. what are the specific <laughs> techniques? You know. I mean, I could go down and make a list or whatever, but I'd love to hear from other people and hear like what flies are using and how they're using these specific ten cards. So if anyone, you know, if that's something that you do a lot, please send an article in. Yeah. And we honestly, we'd love to hear from people out West too. You know, yeah. we, we, we get a lot of coverage, just like I said, based on where we live, it's a lot of the East coast, a lot of the Midwest, but we don't hear a lot from folks out, you know, out in the, you know, the mountain States or even, you know, out in California, Oregon, Washington, places like that. So anybody, you know, doing anything out there, we'd love to, uh, we'd love to kind of broaden the distribution, you know, of, um, you know, stories just in general, they don't, they don't have to be how to's, they don't have to be gear reviews. It could just be stories, trip reports, whatever. Let's expose, you know, um, our larger community to, um, you know, what, what Tenkara opportunities are out there, you know, across the country. So, um, we'd love, we'd love to see that. And then I will put just a little bug in right now. Uh, we are going to do our annual print magazine again this winter. So if you have a really, really good story, you might want to hold on it. Uh, we'll probably put a call to action um, for that, um, you know, in the fall, maybe September or, or October. 
uh, we'll put you know the how to how to submit your stories for for the uh, the print magazine. But we are going to do that again, and that was really well received this year. I love putting that together every year. Um, it's hard work, so I don't like doing it that frequently. That's why it's a once a year thing. But it's really fun, and I know people like to see the actual tangible. You know, have, having stories printed paper in hand, and you know that sort of thing. So we'll definitely do that again. Cool. Cool. Well, I think that's pretty much it. Um, you know, we will kind of, I guess we'll wrap it up now. I'd, I'd recommend, you know, if you want to, you know, before our next podcast comes out, if you want to keep up with what, what's going on in Tenkara Angler, obviously check out our website. Uh, we'd love it if you'd subscribe to this podcast, check out our YouTube channel. Uh, we've been putting up some fresh content there. Subscribe to that for updates um, or, you know, honestly, any of our socials. You know, Jason Sparks in particular is active on our Instagram account. He's always putting something up there, you know, pretty much every day. So if you're not following us on, you know, those various places, we'd love it. You know, if you'd uh, if you do that, it just kind of helps us, uh, you know, keep engaged with uh, with the readership and our listeners. So I guess until then, um, I guess Anthony and I will kind of sign off right now and, um, you know, we'll talk to you all again soon. All right. Thanks for listening, folks. 